We take a closer look inside the Big Ten with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you could follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Saquon Barkley's Heisman candidacy ramped up last week. Is this just the start of something, or should we be aware, beware of getting ahead of ourselves? And not that's not a knock on Barkley's talent, but just the way he's been used so far this year by Penn State. Yeah, you know, it's it's rarely a good thing to be the September Heisman. <laughs> it happens every year where somebody gets anointed the Heisman winner, and then as the season goes on, everybody picks everything that player does apart until just looking for a reason not to pick them as the Heisman. But as far as the talent goes, yeah, Barkley is probably the best player in the college football player in the country right now. It's what he did last week against Iowa in that in that close last second victory for Penn State. I mean, he's pretty much won that game on his own for the Nittany Lions because the offense really wasn't able to get much of anything else going against that Iowa defense, and Barkley was just pretty much doing it all for him. And he's just that kind of talented running back. You know, he, he he's quick. He makes these insane cuts that he just stops at a dime, and the next thing you know, he's like four yards to the left or four yards to the right of where he was two seconds ago. Or leaping tacklers. Got, yeah, yeah, he leaps tacklers. He's got top-end speed. He can run by you and run away from you. And then the one question mark about his game really coming into this year was, you know, he, Penn State had never really used him as a receiver out of the backfield, at least not much. So they made a concerted effort this year just for, you know, James Franklin made the decision for Saquon Barkley's draft stocks. And listen, we're going to throw the ball to you more. That way we can show NFL teams that you can catch balls out of the backfield too. And now he's leading the Big Ten in receiving. So it's, he's, really, he's, he's, very, he's like a larger Reggie Bush type of running back to me. He can do everything. He's just got incredible athleticism, but he's a little bit bigger and stronger than Bush was when he was in college at this point. So he's, He's somebody that you're not going to stop hearing about anytime soon. From the category of my $100 bills are sticking together, who is more valuable to Penn State, McSorley, Trace McSorley, or Barkley? Barkley. I mean, I I, I love McSorley. I think he's a very good player, and I think, you know, quarterback is always obviously a very important position, but Barkley's what makes that offense go. If if they lose him and – all the the onus of everything is put on McSorley. McSorley's job becomes a lot better. If McSorley goes down and they have to go to a reserve quarterback, they've still got Barkley to rely on, and that quarterback won't have you know they could they could just hand it off and let the quarterback manage the game. So, in my opinion, Barkley's far and away the most important part of that offense. Does Michigan have a quarterback controversy brewing, and will it still be John O'Corn when Wilton uh, Spate is a hundred percent? I, I don't. I think there's a controversy in that. In that, I don't know that anybody, any quarterback on that roster is is enough, so much better than anybody else that there's ever really going to be a clear cut guy to have the job. I mean, Walton Spate obviously won the job this summer, won the job to start it, and he wasn't playing horribly. It's just Walton Spate doesn't do anything that makes you say, "Oh, this is this is the guy." And John O'Corn obviously came in last week helped lead them to that win over Purdue. But it's not like O'Corn came in and just lit things on fire either. He played well. He just kind of played like Wilton Spate would have played. So I, I don't know what the controversy will be going forward, if it'll be Spate, if it'll be O'Corn. But I feel like no matter which direction Jim Harbaugh ends up going there, it's pretty much going to get similar production from either guy. Talking with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you could follow him on Twitter, and I highly suggest you do, at Tom Fernelli. What is the narrative from Iowa's loss? They played hard, nearly pulled it off, but statistically should probably never have been in that game. And how tough a loss is that to stomach coming inches away, literally inches away from from a victory over Penn State? 
Oh, that that has to hurt. I mean, like you said, they they if you looked at the box score and didn't watch the game, you're wondering how the heck Iowa was even in that game because Penn State statistically dominated it. It's just that Iowa's defense did enough to slow down the Penn State offense and give its give its own offense the chance to be in that game late, which is exactly what happened. But as far as what to take away, I I think it's. It hurts, obviously, particularly to lose in that fashion on the very last play of the game. But I think there's a lot of positives Iowa can take out of it because Penn State is one of the best teams in the Big Ten, if not the best team. Time might show that Penn State is the Big Ten champion this year. And Iowa did not play well, yet Iowa had a chance to win that game. So going forward, if you're Iowa, if you're Kirk Ferentz, you're telling your team, listen, we didn't play well and we nearly beat the best team. That might be a playoff team. Who, who can't we beat if that's the case? What game can we not stay in? Because Iowa still has a couple big games left. Losing to Penn State hurts, but the good news is it wasn't a division loss. So as far as their their destiny in the Big Ten West, they still you know they still get to play Wisconsin, they still get to play Nebraska, they still get to play Minnesota, and they also have a big game against Ohio State left on the schedule. So I think in a way there's a lot of positives Iowa can take out of that game to tell themselves, you know, we could still win this division. We could still win this conference. Maybe we'll get another shot at that Penn State team and we'll play better. Next up for the Hawkeyes, Michigan State this afternoon. And, you know, what has happened to the Spartans? Eight turnovers in three games. It's one thing to have a drop-off in production, but something just has not been right for a while in East Lansing. For me, it's it's been, you know, the defense obviously has taken a step back. They, they lost a lot of talent when that defense was, you know, at its best when that team was getting to the college football playoff. And it hasn't really, it's particularly in the secondary. You know, it was Michigan State. If you look around the NFL right now, there are quite a few cornerbacks and safeties that are from Michigan State. They're not obviously in East Lansing anymore. And the talent that they've lost in that secondary, I think, with the defense that Mark D'Antonio and before him with Pat Narduzzi was running the defense, the defense that they like to play, that man cover three types deal, where you need good cornerbacks, and they just haven't had them. And I think that's really hurt the defense. And on offense, there just hasn't been, you know, the quarterback play, there hasn't been a there hasn't been a solid running back. There hasn't been, you know, a Le'Veon Bell or a Jeremy Langford or somebody like that at running back position that can make plays and really carry that offense. And the quarterback since Connor Cook has left, has been a pretty just about a mediocre to average player for Michigan State since that point. So I think there's just been a slight step back at way too many positions where Michigan State still it's still a good team, not like a great team, but it's it's not a bad team. But they just don't really have that talent where they're a team you can look at and say, okay, that team can compete with Michigan, that team can compete with Ohio State, that team could compete with Penn State. It's just not there right now, and. It feels like they're kind of in a rebuild, and I think Mark D'Antonio probably needs another year or two if he wants to get it back to where it was. What happened to Purdue in the second half against Michigan? Inexperienced or just great defense by the Wolverines? Just out-talented. It's, you know, Purdue has been very, it's been very optimistic going forward, but Jeff Brahms was able to do that. You know, they played Louisville close and lost, and then they hung tough with Michigan for a half, and then things just kind of fell apart. Just too much talent. The, the talent differential between those teams is too great that it's 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 unrealistic to expect Purdue without Michigan making a lot of mistakes and shooting itself in the foot. It was unrealistic to expect Purdue to really hang in there for the entire 60 minutes. So I think if you're a Purdue fan, there's no reason to be you know down after losing that game. You weren't supposed to win that game. That's, that's, 
that's not the kind of game that program's going to be winning in year one. Maybe next year it finally gets there in year three. That's where Purdue starts really competing in those games. But it's just Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, they're all still in a different class than Purdue is right now. Taking a closer look inside the Big Ten with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com. Does any school have worse luck than Maryland losing two quarterbacks to a torn ACL? It's awful. I mean, and it's the second year in a row where this has happened to Maryland. It's Maryland quarterbacks is one of the most dangerous jobs in this country right now. Statistics show. And it's it's such a shame simply because Maryland really is one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten. Outside of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, Maryland might be the most talented team in the Big Ten, but it's been killed by quarterback injuries and no matter how talented you are you can't withstand those kind of injuries where you're forced to play your third string quarterback or your fourth string quarterback so I feel bad for DJ Dirk and I feel bad for that team because I thought this was a Maryland team that was going to have a pretty good season even though it was destined to finish fourth in the division but I thought this was going to be a very good team it was going to get to a bowl game and now I'm wondering if that's I I have doubts that that's going to be possible with all the injuries that they've suffered. We take a closer look at the Big 12 with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Texas coming off the win over Iowa State in Ames the other night. How far or what do the Longhorns need to do before they're able to contend again in the Big 12? Well, the good news is that that defense, ever since that opening loss to Maryland where it got torn apart, has played well. It's it, it's been much better. It's it's not giving up nearly as many points. It's tackling better. It's doing a lot of things better. The problem is that offense is still, you know, it's I don't know where it is yet. You know, we saw in that game against Iowa State, they won 17-7. to The defense obviously did a wonderful job shutting down an Iowa State team that had scored 40 points in each of its first three games to seven points. But Texas's offense hasn't really shown up this year, and I feel like if you're going to win in the Big 12, yes, you need a really good defense because there are so many great offenses that you have to deal with and you need to be able to slow them down. But you also need to be able to score with those teams because you're not going to be able to limit them to seven points every week. So I think that's the one thing that's really going to hinder Texas's ceiling for the rest of the season now that Big 12 play has started. I just don't know that the Longhorns could score enough points to be a real threat. What did TCU realize or do that nobody else has been able to do so far against Oklahoma State? It has a secondary that can keep those receivers in check. It's Gary Patterson's defense, the three-three-five that he's always run, and the way he's played it, he, he, the defense is pretty much built to stop that kind of air raid offense. I mean, you play in the Big 12 and you played in the Mountain West before where you face this a lot. This is what Gary Patterson's defense was designed to do. It, it, was, such a, it was such a you know whiplash effect seeing – from the week before, the way Oklahoma State tore up Pitt, which had a defense which is pretty much the exact opposite of what you want to do against Oklahoma State, going to a defense that's built exactly to stop it. So there was kind of that whiplash effect, but that's just what TCU does, and I think that it worked out well for them. And on offense, you know, they needed Kenny Hill to play well. They needed a good game from the running backs, and they got exactly – it was the perfect recipe for TCU in that game. The defense did enough to limit a very potent offense, and the offense didn't make any mistakes to give that other team, you know, extra shots with the ball to put up points on the board. And that was a perfect game for the Horned Frogs, and they got a win that they they really deserved. What's different, or what do you notice different in Kenny Hill from a year ago? He's not he's not taking the same stupid risks. I think is the simplest way of putting it. You know, there were times in Kenny Hill's career that if TCU got down or if TCU was in a in a situation where it needed to make a play, or at least he felt it needed to make a play, 
he tried to make the play even when it wasn't there. And it would lead to either, you know, him hanging onto the ball too long in the pocket, getting hit and fumbling, or him just throwing a, making a bad decision with the throw and getting picked off throwing a pick six. He's not making those decisions. At least he didn't make them against Oklahoma State last week. He took what was there. He took, you know, when the moment was there for him to run, he ran. He didn't hang out in the pocket forever. If the receiver was covered, he moved on to the next one or took off. He just made all the right decisions, and it's it's been, you know, it's something that you just tend to see a lot from quarterbacks. That the longer they're around and the older they get, the smarter they start getting. The more with the more experience that they've had. So I think that's a good sign for TCU going forward. Maybe the old Kenny thrill is kind of being put to bed, and we're getting Kenny conservative for the rest of his career. Talking with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. West Virginia gave up nearly 300 yards rushing to Kansas. Enough said. That has to be a concern going forward. Yes. Although, you know, Kansas's game plan last week was to run the ball. They figured their best shot was to just, if we, if we can keep that West Virginia offense off the field for as long as possible, we'll have a chance to win this game. It didn't really work out. They, they did get their 300 yards of offense, but they still gave up about 50 points. But, yeah. If if you are West Virginia and you realize you've still got some bigger games to fry, you know some bigger fish to fry in the Big Twelve this year, that is definitely something that you need to work on. You can't give up 300 yards rushing to Kansas and expect the rest of the conference not to notice and figure out how they can take advantage of that themselves. Texas Tech gets a big win last week and follows with Oklahoma State tonight. Obviously, coming off the loss, how many points will be scored? And is this Red Raiders defense better in years than in years past? It's hard. To, it's really been hard to tell. I mean, I think it is. Obviously, the results for the defense have been better than what we've seen at any point because, you know, you're, you're used to Texas Tech giving up 40 to everybody. So in that essence, yes, it's better. It's just they gave up the 45 points to Arizona State, but, and they held Eastern Washington, an FCS team, in check, but Eastern Washington had lost its offensive coordinator. He's now, I can't remember exactly where he is, but he left to join that Power 5 team last year. And they gave up only 24 points to Houston, but it's a Houston offense that only managed to score 19 points against Arizona earlier this year as well. So I don't know how good that Houston offense actually is. But I know that optically, Texas Tech's defense has certainly looked better. But I feel like tonight, going up against you know Oklahoma State, who I expect to be more like Oklahoma State this week than it was against TCU, this, this will probably be that kind of, you know, 48 to 45 kind of shootout <laughs> that you kind of expect from a big 12 game. So, you know, I'm looking forward to watching it. How do the Cowboys respond after losing for the first time last week? And it was a humbling loss as well. Yeah, I, I think it'll be, I think it's probably good. You know, I, it's, it's so cliche to say the loss is good for them, but I think, I don't think it's a bad thing in that. I think it hurts their, obviously it hurts their playoff profile. Although I don't think they're eliminated yet because if they win out in the big 12 and they win the big 12, it's still going to be a team in the playoff consideration. But I, I just think that maybe I, I'm not worried about it. Put it that way. Like we discussed when we were talking about TCU, that TCU defense was built to stop this Oklahoma State offense. There aren't many defenses like TCU left on Oklahoma State's schedule. Outside of Oklahoma, I don't know who's really going to be capable of doing that to them. So I think that, you know, Mason Rudolph, James Washington, all those guys, I think we're going to see Oklahoma State's offense pretty much get back to what we expect from it again this week against Texas Tech. And I think this is still a team that can win the Big 12. So the loss hurts, obviously, as far as perception goes nationally, but I still think this is the same team we were dealing with a week ago. Does the bye come at a perfect time for Oklahoma, a whirlwind first month, a team that's banged up a little, they could just kind of 
push the reset button and then kind of gear up for the final two months? Yeah, I, I think it's you know, and it's it's great to have the week off before you really head into the heart of conference play, and then you get next week at Iowa State, and then obviously the week after that, you know, you've got your showtime with Texas that you always have. So yeah, I think this is. I think it's probably the perfect time for Oklahoma to have their buy, and I think that's why they scheduled it that way. I think they just kind of knew, listen, we're going to take our little week off here, get ready for the rest of the run, and see what we can do. And this is a good, very, 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 I don't know how many varies I can say here, it's a very good Oklahoma team, and I expect it to be in this title content, you know, the title picture for the rest of the season. 